Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the garden, may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig, fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? We're, uh, we're very calm and still today. I think we're adjusting to the coldness this week. I know we uh, turned on some heat this week as well. This morning, uh, my name's Shelby. I'm and, uh, pastor here at Pilgrim Church. I'm delighted that you're here. Again, if you're new here, welcome. We're glad you're here. We are a church on a journey moving towards new life. And um, so this morning... We're, and during the teaching time, we've been doing a series, actually two series rotating, one going through a book of the Bible called First Peter, and then uh, this one called Triggered. And we have one more message in this series we'll get to in about two weeks or so. Uh, but this morning, we're going to dig a little bit into this idea in Scripture that talks about the flesh versus the spirit. Now, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably heard this language, the spirit and the flesh. Um, and the Apostle Paul, who wrote a bunch of the New Testament uses this word flesh or sarks in Greek uh, that, that as, a, as a principle or a thing. And when he says flesh, he's not talking about so much our literal physical material body when Paul uses it, but he's using this to talk about a, a principle or something that is at, at war with the best version of us that God has for us. So this idea of flesh and spirit and there's a tension between them. I'm going to read to you uh, one verse from Galatians or two verses Galatians chapter 5, and Paul wrote this to a church in Galatia, uh, an ancient city, and he said this, but I say to you, live by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Obviously, he's talking about more than physical body. We obviously need to eat these kinds of things. He's not demonizing the body, but there's this thing he says called the flesh. In verse 17, he says, for the flesh has desires that are opposed to the Spirit. So there's a sense of tension or war that we have when we follow Christ, that we are made aware of that there is an internal struggle going on. There's something battling. For the flesh has desires that are opposed to the spirit, and the spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh, for these are in opposition to each other, so that you cannot do what you want. And then he goes on and talks about what are some of these works of the flesh or behaviors of the flesh versus things of the spirit in the rest of that chapter. And we talk about that a lot, because one of our core values at Pilgrim Church is transformation. Would you say the word transformation with me? Just so I know you're not falling asleep, say transformation. transformation. This is one of the reasons why we exist as a local church, that we believe that there is a brokenness and a blessedness in all of humanity, 
and that God has come to, to deliver us and set us free from that. And so when we talk about this battle between the spirit and the flesh, when we deal with our emotional triggers and things that get us worked up, it's important to get this Christian worldview fully ensconced in our hearts and minds. That there is something going on that isn't right. There's some things that are amiss within us and in the world around us. Now, our culture often tries to deny this, often tries to say that things are just what they are and we should just be fine with it. And yet, we ask moral questions, even if we're not Christians. Uh, We ask ethical questions. Well, why did this storm do this? Or why did this person do this bad action? Why do I feel bad or wrong when this or that happens? So we know intuitively that our culture is lying to us, that everything is just fine as is. We know that there's something warped And it goes simply beyond a genetics and nature. There's something more going on. And so we talk about this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And we want to unpack that this morning as we dig into this third message in the Triggered series. Um, Let's pray and then we'll move forward. Join with me, would you? Lord, thank you for your presence here in this place. And thank you that we have come here today. And part of why we gather is to lean into this value of transformation That things are amiss and not as they should be in creation, in our hearts, in our human decisions, both corporately and large group and also as individuals. And so God, I pray that we would open our hearts and minds to understand this biblical concept of there being an opposition or a conflict between the things of the spirit, your spirit, which is life-giving and light and true and all good, and the flesh, which is destructive and, and dehumanizing and isolating so, Lord, may we as, we, as we lean into this today, may our hearts be enlightened, may our minds be enlightened, and as we look at things that we should do in response to this, especially in the weeks ahead, um, that we would have that, that holy motivation empowered by your Spirit within us to lean into that and learn what does it mean to uh, sort of battle the flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Alita read this morning from Genesis chapter 3, which is in the very first part of your Bible, if you have a paper Bible, um, and we'll be referencing that in just a minute here. But I think it's important that we understand this flesh concept, that there is a war going on inside of you. This idea of if if we ignore this, it's to our own peril, right? Again, sometimes we use the word flesh to mean our material body, but that's not what we're talking about here. Your material body isn't bad. Your material body is created by God. We're not, as the ancient heresy of Gnostics, we're not that. We are a new creation in Christ when we receive Christ. And we talked about this before, that the real first fundamental issue that we have to work on is You have a new identity when you become a Christian, the Christ identity within you. It becomes your primary sense of who you are above and beyond all other things. And we talked about a whole list of things, uh, whether they're about whether I'm male or female, uh, or Paul said whether I'm Jew or Greek, my my culture of origin, my family of origin, um, whether I'm rich or poor, whether I am empowered or not, um, how I view sexuality, all of those things become secondary to our Christ nature when we become a follower of Jesus Christ. And in fact, when that happens, those other things, we can enjoy them properly in their right place, and we're not trying to suck life out of those different things. So the flesh, as Paul uses it, is not a nature that is essential to your identity. It's a state of deception. It's a lie that we believe. Two weeks ago, we used a clip from the movie The Matrix. I know, uh, I guess there's a new one coming out after all these years. But this idea of living in a false reality, a fake world, 
And the Christian church and the teachings of Jesus tell us that we are all enslaved by sin and that we live into a lie about who we really are. And in fact, our culture goes out of the way to reinforce the lies, uh, getting our identity, whether it's through tribalism or, or gaining things or gaining knowledge or our sexuality, pick any of the major things that make us up as humans. And our cultures tell us that these things are ultimate. But Jesus says that is a lie. What is ultimate is that you are beloved by God, created in the image and likeness of your creator. And there is an enemy that wants to keep you from that truth. Because if that truth marinates in you and you begin to reprogram your thinking and your emotions and your loves around this, that you are ultimately beloved by a God who considered you so valuable that he died for you, that he came down and took your place with the ravages of sin and concentrated it all in time in one spot, backwards and forwards, it changes how you are human and how you act and react. So the deepest issue is identity and the flesh battles this identity. We read a little bit from Romans 12 too, which is one of the key verses in this series. It says this, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And then you'll be able to figure out what the will of God is in all these different circumstances. The flesh is the, na- or the rather the spirit or the nature that God created in us. The flesh is against that and against your new identity in life in Christ. And it's a lie that opposes God's truth in you. It is a worldview that is against Jesus. As one theologian who I'll be leaning on heavily in this said, this is truth. The truth is God created you and me with a beautiful, incurable need for love and worth that was to be derived first from God, from Him. But the deception of Satan and the char- that characterizes this flesh nature says that we can meet our own needs. The truth is God desires to make our lives full and graciously full by graciously pouring his own life and love into you. But the flesh says God is incapable or unwilling to give us full life. And so we try to seek it elsewhere, this fullness of life that every one of us has a yearning for that God has put in us. A little more about the flesh and then we'll unpack the, the four ways the flesh works. The flesh is not your real essential nature. Your real essential nature is not this deception, not the matrix, not the lies around you. Your real essential nature is not about your battles with money and greed or lack. I like how Walter Brueggemann says part of our identity is we can operate out of anxious scarcity or God's superabundance. And it's a constant battle, is it not? We work, we strive, all of us, we're all affected by that. Your essential nature is not how much you make or have or don't have. Your essential nature is not your economics. Your essential nature is not your social class, how much education or the circles you run in. Those are not your essential nature. Your essential nature is not sexuality. Huge one in our culture in post-Christendom, liberal uh, United States and liberal Canada. uh, And I mean that theologically, philosophically speaking. It's not that. And that's a huge lie. It's being pumped into our school. Oh, I could preach a whole sermon on that. And then conservatives react in the other direction. They're buying the same lie, same coin about essential nature. They're just fighting over what's in, what's okay, and what's not. The Bible just says, throw the whole coin away. It's not your essential identity. Your essential identity is not your family of origin, your tribe. Well, they are to be blessed and they're important. That is not your essential nature. 
Politicians and nationalists try to prey on that in order to drum up support. Some of them are, quite frankly, it's straight up prejudiced and racist, whether it's coming from Trump or Xi, these kinds of things. They are not your essential nature. The claim of Christianity is your essential nature is you are beloved by your creator in his image and likeness. He has created each one of us, male and female, from everywhere. And we are made to be filled with that love. When you strive after those other things, first and foremost, you are living into a deception and lie and you will always ultimately be empty. The saying says, what will make a rich man happier? You know the response to that, right? Well, what makes a rich man happy? Oh, come on, some of you got to know the the follow-up line. Just a little more money. What makes someone who's dealing with addiction or trying to fulfill that sense of purpose through relationships and turning others into products just a little more, just a little more, just a little more, just a little more. That is trying to suck life out of things that God did not design to be your essential life-giving force within you. God designed that to be him and his love poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Jesus. The flesh is not your real nature. Look at your neighbor and say, the flesh is not my real nature. It is opposed to your true nature in Christ. A new nature based on God is Lord and an ultimate source of worth. You are not by nature what the flesh says you are. And this means we can successfully wage war in our hearts and minds against it. Get used to saying and thinking when you're being destructive, when you're sinning, when you're struggling. This, and insert whatever this is, this is not who I'm created to be. I was made for more. This is not my true nature. It is a lie from hell. For I am redeemed. I am whole. I am holy. I am joy-filled. I'm a child of the king of the universe. That is your essential nature. We talked about trying harder. And oftentimes this is where conservative Christians get out of line and become sort of legalists. They believe if we can just try harder externally, then everything will be fine. And there's a place for behaviors. And we'll talk about that in the last message. So, so bracket that for a moment. But the ultimate battle isn't about behavior modification. It's about identity. It's about the sense of the deepest sense of who you are. And out of that can flow things like true holiness and righteousness and right relationships. Out of that flows new life. I use the example of the stop sign. If I operate out of fear, external behavior... I'll stop at the stop sign most of the time, but if I don't, then when I'm having a weak moment, I may be tempted. Personally, this isn't a temptation for me, but I've seen other people that clearly it is in Vancouver to not stop at the stop sign. But if I love my life and my essential nature, it changes even that little thing. I don't want to harm another person made in the image and likeness of God. I don't want to harm myself because I love life so much because of the creator and his love poured into my heart. Different motivation, same sign. Behavior modification only goes so far. Essential nature is what God wants us to get at. Okay, so let me just move on a little bit here. Are you, are you with me this morning? Please say amen or yes. Before we get to victory practices, which will wrap up this series on Triggered with, things that we can do that form us more and remind us of our identity. Gathering in worship, by the way, is one reason why we gather, is to remind yourself that you were more than all those other things that have been trying to claim their ultimate identity this week. You are more. You are more than those things. 
And in Christian worship, ultimately, it's joyful because we get our identity in the resurrection of Jesus and his living hope. And as, as First Peter, we talked about last week, First Peter chapter 1, and we sang about it this week. There's a different identity. Worship is about uh, one of those practices, and there's many others. Again, we're not going to unpack them, but that's one of them. Public and gathering worship with other believers and questioning believers together. So there's four parts of the flesh that we read in Genesis chapter 3. Four ways that the ancient foe, old Slewfoot himself, Satan, the Satan, the enemy, the evil one, the broken, however we want to refer to the powers of evil that want to keep us from getting our identity in Christ. There's four main ways they operate. The first one is deception. Would you say it with me? Deception. I like how um, it was reported some years ago by Matt Schneider in What is Truth? And he said this, the concept of truth has been dying a slow death for many years. And because become more noticeable in the past decade or so. In the early 2000s, comedian Stephen Colbert picked up on this cultural phenomenon and he coined the term truthiness. Do any of you remember truthiness? Yeah. Which went on to become a Merriam-Webster's word phenomenon in the year 2006. In 2016, in the wake of our, the U.S. presidential election, Brexit and accusations across the political spectrum about fake news, even here in Canadian uh, discussions now. Oxford, Oxford Dictionary is named Post-Truth, its word of the year in 2016. Shortly thereafter, commenting on the presidential inauguration, Kellyanne Conway famously spoke of alternative facts. In response, time blazoned the question, is truth dead, on its April 3rd, 2017 cover. Then in 2018... Former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani named, claimed truth isn't truth during an interview with Chuck Todd on NBC. And of course, we shouldn't forget, for those of us, and I'm from the States, so I apologize, this does translate into Canadian politics a little bit, but it's so close to the election, I'm going to be careful. I'll just pick on Americans since I, that's safe for me to do, right? Let's not forget Bill Clinton splitting hairs over the definition of sexual relations. Depends on the meaning of the word is, is and essentially pondering what an attorney's definition of is, is back in 1998. Truthiness has cut both ways across the aisle in our post-truth age. So deception, deception. The lie that we see here in Genesis chapter 3, there are three lies, deception. The first lie we say is about who God is. And this is huge in churches, and especially those of us that are moderate to conservative, because we tend to want to believe right things about God, but we are so susceptible to lies about God's essential nature. God creates Adam and Eve out of abundant love for the purpose of sharing God's own life with them, for having creation that he can engage with and the Holy Trinity can have a relationship with. His own life, his own love, his even a limited authority he gives them. They have a God-shaped desire within them. I think it was Augustine that said that we have this. Our hearts are restless until they rest in Him. They have this God-shaped desire that He could fill with their love. And the God who is love loves to give, so He creates creatures that need life. And so we give love, and then we, or we receive love, and then we give love in this beautiful back-and-forth dance. So the first deception is, that the, the, the serpent says is, is this idea that God is not trustworthy. That life in God is not really loving and giving at all. That God's motives were selfish. That God wants to control them. And so he creates this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it's a selfish motive. And so the enemy works to get you to question the idea of an all good and perfect loving creator. 
The lie that God did not have their best interest. The lie that God doesn't want you to reach your full potential. The lie that God doesn't care about you. God's motive and trustworthiness are lied about in a believable enough way. The second thing that the enemy works through deception. Are you still with me this morning? This is good stuff. Somebody say amen. If you're taking notes, this is good stuff to review again and talk about in home church. So a lie about who God is. He's not trustworthy. He's not loving. He's not worthy of worship. He's not worthy of being in relationship with. The the enemy plants that seed of doubt. We see this. And he said to the woman in verse 1, Is it really true what God said? Is it really true? Is this God lying to you about this tree? The lies about, second lies about who Adam and Eve are. He implies that God was threatening their freedom. And this is how the enemy always works to get us entrapped in sin and brokenness. If you really want to enjoy life, throw off all of your guardrails and boundaries and just go for it. Work 70 hours a week. It'll be so worth it. Accumulate all the education you can. It'll be so... Whatever it is that these things become our path of life, in and of themselves, not bad things at all, but when they become ultimate, the lie that the idea that God wasn't the original source of freedom and life and love in the first place. The lie that God was not the source of freedom and love in the first place for Adam and Eve. And the third aspect of deception, quickly, is this. The lie that they could improve their life by doing something. Well, Adam and Eve, since God is not loving, he can't be depended upon for your worth. So you need to become like God and get it on your own. Assert your independence, they believe, from God. They believe that fullness of life was to be found in doing instead of receiving and being something. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, we can see, are continually assessing things as good and evil and how they fill our God-shaped vacuum. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is about this idea of trying to find things that fill a thing that only God's love can fill. And so we begin to get on the judgment throne about everything, about culture, about identity, about sexuality, about our work, about our education, about our tribe and our family and this people group and that people group. And we begin to suck our identity out of that and we make these judgments, good, evil, good, evil, based on how it tries to fill a hole that none of that stuff was designed to fill. None of that stuff will fulfill that you can pursue through doing. We were created, you were created to receive and give God's love and life. But if you're constantly judging yourselves and others and things as a way to get the life that God graciously says, here, take it as a gift, it actually blocks us from receiving what we need. Let me just end this part and say the deception of the flesh turns good things like work, relationships, family, culture into idols that we try to fill our innermost being with. But they will always fail you. You can't work enough. You can't do enough justice work. You cannot uh, have enough. You can, there is, those things ultimately always leave you wanting more because they cannot fill that God-shaped hole that the love and grace of Jesus is only made to fill. I don't know about you, but the rat race, whatever form it takes, can be exhausting. Now, there's a place for work and vocation be careful, because there is, there is a proper role of work and vocation for our humanity. But again, if it's what you're trying to get your life out of, it will always leave you empty, and it's an idol. Ultimately, it will sacrifice you for itself. 
Okay, we got to get to the last few ones here. Are we still awake? Amen? The, the, the other ones here are performance, hiddenness, and destruction. Performance, hiddenness, and destruction. And I'm going to unpack those a little more quickly, a little less information. Performance, verse 6 in Genesis. When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food and was attractive to the eye and was desirable for making one wise, she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. We could get into a whole thing about uh, fallenness and gender battles within the Bible, but you've got to read that Paul later on. Adam is just as culpable as she is. There's the summary of that verse. Don't read it as a, as a misogynist text. Um, but performance, verse 6. When we believe our life is through doing things, the tree was there for a teaching tool. But when we believe our life is through doing, 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 we cannot enjoy God's love as long as we're climbing on God's throne and being the ultimate judge of things. And our judgment blocks God's love flowing through us. And the tree was next to the tree of life. The tree of good and evil was next to the tree of life at the center of a garden. And we're called to honor God's boundaries as well as trust his provision. His prohibition versus his provision here. And so if we accept the lie about God and the lie about ourselves in deception, our perception is clouded and we are dulled. And we're more easily deceived into acting out in destructive ways. And so the flesh then wants us to act out. Behaviors flow out of these lies. Behaviors that are destructive. The way of the flesh is something that has a certain kind of logic to it. If the serpent was right. If the serpent was right about the lie about God and the lie about ourselves. If God was fickle with his love and life. If the serpent's right, we do need to strive for identity in life by doing and acquiring and doing and acquiring, by performing. And we're living in the flesh, and when we assume our worth must be gained from the world around us. But the truth of God is you are enough. The truth of God is you are enough. You are created in His image and likeness. Yes, we are in a fallen world, but He makes provision for that by coming down, taking on flesh, living among us, dying on a cross. He deals with that. You are enough. You are beloved of God. You are created. I have to preach this for a couple of weeks because this identity issue is so core. Our world wants to get us off track. I think about all of the things in our culture, our politics and our, our gender wars and our, our stuff about accumulation and our housing crisis and all these things which are important, but they are not your core identity. Jesus' love is designed to be your core identity. Oh, I just camp out there longer, but I've got to move on. Transformation deep within starts when you realize Christ died for you even when you were telling him he didn't exist. I love pop atheists. They're so funny. They are so funny because they sit there and complain about the church proselytizing while they're proselytizing. <laughs> they sit there and say, God is dead. God doesn't matter. God is a fake. God is a fraud. It's all about this or that. Well, they talk about God more than I do and I'm a full-time Christian pastor. Come on! <laughs> There is God and he cares. There's two forms of this performance lie. There's the secular version and the religious version. The secular version is you will find your fulfillment in beauty, in sexuality, in money, in power. The old, old trifecta, sex, money, and power that make all of us up. You will find your fullness in there. 
Every commercial, every ad, every YouTuber monetized, every Instagram influencer is going after this identity that if you just would see this image and somehow see your reflection in it or pursue that, you will be more fulfilled. You will be happier. You will be healthier. You will be wealthier if you just get your identity out of these things. But it's a lie. It cannot deliver what it promises. But let me tell you about someone who's been delivering for you while you were yet sinner. Christ died for you. While you were saying, God, you don't even exist. You've been arguing with the God you don't believe exists. Hello, Pop Atheist. He loved you. When you were telling him off, he loved you. The deception is you can get your life and you must get life from something you do or something you consume or something you acquire. More money, more influence, look better, perform better, achieve more, have more autonomy. Again, these things in proper, in proper relationship to God's love can be good things within the boundaries and moderation. But if they are your God and you're seeking your identity out of them, destructive habits, our mental spiritual health, anger, frustration, instead of the love, joy, and peace that God gives, graciously, freely. Religious idol, I got to do this one and then we'll, we'll do the last two. Religious idol. Well, if I pray harder, if I give more, if I give to other nonprofits, alms, if I march in defense of the climate, or whatever the social justice issue is of the day, or if I support the right conservative candidate or the right liberal candidate, or if I, if I do all these things, this religious activity. Spiritual disciplines are there to bring us back around to receive from Christ. They're not to become performance markers. Even spiritual disciplines can be twisted by the lie. And then we move into this exhaustion mode or we virtue signal all the time, trying to get our identity out of that instead of God's love for us. I'd say more, but I got to move the last two. Are you awake? We'll get there. We'll get you out in time. Don't worry. Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, We're almost there. <laughs> or maybe even better, look at your neighbor and say, You are defined by what God says about you. Can you say that? That's a longer sentence. You are defined by what God says about you. So the last two ways the flesh works, hiddenness. Would you say hiddenness with me? Verses 7 and 8 say this. After they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. Naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord moving about in the orchard at the breezy time of day. God, there's some that would say in this verse that God uh, sort of put on a human form so he could commune with them in that way. So, So they heard God moving about in the breezy time of day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the orchard. They hid from God. They hid from God. I mean, think about that for just a moment. They thought they were hiding from God. So if we believe the lie that your ultimate worth and value and significance is something you must acquire, apart from God, the world becomes a stage in a very bad way. We perform And we must hide everything about ourselves that isn't consistent with performance. We are acting out. We only post the things that build our mask and our facade. So deception 
moves into this sense of a deception about ourselves and about God, moves into performance, and performance draws us into hiding. Do you see that connection there? Deception, performance, hiding. So after they ate from the tree of the knowledge, they were no longer comfortable, not before each other or before God. So God confronts them as they try to hide. And they pass their blame, well, she did this and he did that. And the serpent did this. Hiddenness. We hide because we learn really quickly that we can't get our identity out of performance. And so those parts of us that don't live up to that idealized image, we have to put a facade out. We do it in the secular world all of the time. We have a public persona and our private persona. Integrity is about narrowing the gap between those two things, by the way. Integrity is that we are the same person wherever we are. And there's a sense in which we shift a little bit that's appropriate boundary-wise, but if there is such a huge disconnect, you are killing something deep within inside you, and you're avoiding dealing with real things deep in your heart and in your life. Hiddenness, they hid from the Lord. They saw they were naked, that the tree of knowledge of good and evil didn't deliver on the promise it said, and now they see themselves as naked, as less than, and now they need to perform to cover up, to hide, literally sew fig leaves together, and then they go hide from God, hiding from themselves, creating a false front, and then also hiding from God. Some of you are here and you're so tired of hiding. Maybe it's the religious version because you're in a church. I like it how some of our folks harass me when I don't, at the funeral, they're like, oh, look at that, you're in a suit. And I have to tell you, I resist the urge to, to quote Jesus' words back to you. He said to the Pharisees, you're whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you're beautiful, but on the inside, you're full of dead bones. So whenever you comment me on my suit or wearing that, just so you know, the words that pop in my head is, don't say it, Shell. Don't say it, Shell. Don't say it. They love you. They're for you. Don't say it. That's the flesh. Twisting the scripture, right? Uh, but there's that sense of hiddenness, that performing and hiding. If you're doing that spiritually in the church, you're missing the power of God to transform your life. And it's going to wear you down to a point where you decide, I'm done with the church. Because you never actually gave the church, Jesus and people, a real try. Because you were so busy thinking you had to keep up a performance, a facade, and then you were hiding. And the energy of performing and hiding, performing and hiding, performing and hiding will wear you down to a point where you just walk away from it. But you're not actually walking away from the church, you're walking away from the fake idol that couldn't deliver life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Hiding is the flip side of performance. Boyd, Greg Boyd says this, it causes us to be more concerned with how things look than how things actually are. May this church not be a place where we're more concerned about how things look than how they actually are. Because that's, that's just bondage. That's the work of the enemy. That's just using Jesus as a peanut butter over Satan's work. It's just a smear on top of a deep darkness when how things look, is more, we're more concerned about that than how they actually are. We invest so much energy into the side of us that other people see than the side that God sees, and it wears us down and tires us. I, I'm not interested in that kind of religion. Those kind of religious games, they can go away forever and ever. Amen. Henry Nouwen said this, Our addictions make us cling to what the world proclaims as the keys to self-fulfillment. Now one goes on and he said, accumulation of wealth and power, attainment of status and admiration, lavish consumption and pick, your, pick whatever. The addicted life can be aptly designated a life in the distant country, away from the country of God. Beneath it all is a great rebellion, the unspoken curse. I wish you were dead. Fake will only get you so far. 
Fake will only get you so far. And keeping on the masks and who you are to what person and in this situation, your integrity gets more and more shattered. Your soul gets split, to use a quote from Harry Potter, the more you live into performing and hiding. (laughs) So let's get to the last one and then we'll land it. Destruction and death. Verse 16 and 17 in chapter 2 said this, God said, then he he commanded the man, you may eat freely of every tree of the orchard, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. If we continue down the path of believing the lies of the matrix that our secular world beats into us, and there's a religious version of it as well, and then we try to perform to get our identity out of those things, whatever that performance looks like. And then we hide when we don't live up to our own performance because you can't. It's impossible. You never will be 100% there. In fact, that's the lie. It says that you'll reach some glorious 100%. You won't because it can't fill the love-shaped hole that only God's love and relationship can fill. Eventually, you die. That's it. It's your over. God is life itself. When we try to get our life at the deepest sense of identity out of anything else, we die. Our natural union with God is severed. We're kicked out of the garden. We're blocked from the tree of life. Death is the natural consequence of living in the deception, the performing, and hiding. It has built-in judgment to it. Hear this one quote here. Whenever we believe a lie about who God is and who we are, we cease trusting We have to perform a strategy for getting life. And whenever we perform as a strategy for getting life, we have to hide everything in ourselves that's inconsistent with our strategy. And whenever we hide aspects of ourselves that's inconsistent, we hide aspects of ourselves, we are in a process of actually destroying ourselves. Hiddenness is unnatural and causes spiritual starvation and conceals our wounds. And when we're trying to conceal our wounds, we can't get healing for our wounds. When we're trying to pretend that we're all perfect and we've already arrived, we can't get healing through the body of Christ, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The more we hide, the more we pretend, the more fake we are, and the more wounded we are, and the wounds keep getting infected and festering within us, and we eventually die because they will take us down. Or as Paul says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, eternal flowing life right now into your present all the way into eternity. Hiddenness is unnatural. Hiddenness leads to spiritual starvation. Pretense and hiding keeps shame inside and love outside of our innermost being and we begin to starve. The most essential need in your innermost being is a need for unconditional love and worth. And finally, concealing our wounds. Why the hiddenness of the flesh is so destructive is that it causes us to hide. And you can't heal what you can't expose to the healer. If I went to the doctor and I broke my arm and I tried to hide it and say nothing about it, doctor can't help me. The good news is you have a spiritual physician and a great healer who wants to enter in to your life and wants to heal and bring wholeness. Not just once, not just initial salvation, but all through this life's journey. This church should be a place like a hospital. We're talking about doing some remodeling in here. I'm half tempted to say, can we do a hospital theme? No, no, that's probably a little too much. But it's not a museum. 
Everything we do should reflect that, that we are here for the cure of souls. We are here to see healing and wholeness happen. We are here for hope as well, hope and healing and wholeness, all of these things. That this is why we exist, to manifest Christ's presence, that we might get our ultimate identity in Him. But as a church, if we're not clear on this, it's going to be really hard to share that with others. We learn how to share the gospel, like how Sam Chan has been talking about it in the video series that some of us have been watching. In one of his presentations about gospel, he talks about this striving piece. That ultimately, none of us, there's always going to be somebody better. There's always going to be someone ahead of whatever area you're striving in or you're setting up as a life. There's, and it never delivers. It always fails. All right, I'm going to land it. And all God's people said, amen. So What? So let's summarize some main things. In two weeks, we'll talk more about these practices. There are practices we should do about our core identity, not about behavior modification, because core identity comes first. Identity comes first. Behaviors follow from that. What you love comes first, and your loves and behaviors flow out of that. Feelings and our mind, there are things that we can do to lean into that and to imagine and to see through God's work of the Holy Spirit that bring about these changes, these victory over the flesh. And so we want to end by talking more about that. Key issue number one, identity first. And if worship team is closing with a song, they can come up because I only just have a minute here. The key issue is your identity first. Say it with me, identity first. Say it like you mean it, identity first. Say it like you're about to get out of church this morning, identity first. What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you participating in? What kind of identity claims are these things having on you? Your friends are your future. Yes, we're to be engaged with the larger world, but you also need to have those that are influencing you for the kingdom. What are you reading? What are you watching? To the extent... That your view of God is, and self is distorted, you're going to get life and sense of being out of stuff that cannot deliver, whether secular or religious. We can behave in certain ways to look good to others, or in the church you can try to mimic the fruit of the Spirit, but if you're still trapped in the flesh way of thinking and being conformed to that pattern, it will be a religious work and conceal who you really are and where you need true healing. Behaviors to fill the void will always backfire. But there are things we can do to position ourselves to be delivered from this trap. The way out of the flesh is living and to give and to surrender to the Holy Spirit, resting in the image and the words and the message of Jesus. And we'll talk more about that as we finish the series in the last message. But would you stand with me this morning? Identity first. Identity first. Identity first. I don't think this is a complex word, but it's one that we need to hear frequently. I want you to think right now of what you face in this next week. Maybe you want to close your eyes and get a picture of those things. And all of them, I'm sure, are important. But I want you to see those things and say, they are not ultimately who I am. I am first and foremost a son and daughter of the creator of the universe. I am beloved by God. So much so that while you were yet a sinner, some of you are like, well, I'm currently a sinner. Yes, yes, we are saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. (laughs) 
Well, you're wrestling, but when you are Christian, that's now you're living into a fakeness. You're living into a false identity. You're buying the lie. So we say, yeah, I'm still a sinner. No, no. In fact, you're not actually. You're buying the lie that you're still a sinner. You're actually still redeemed child of God, but you're acting out behaviors that are sinful and destructive, but that is not your core identity anymore. Where are you believing the lie about yourself? Where are you believing a lie about God? Where are you trying to get that deepest sense of life? And you know because it is like a splinter in your mind, you know that it can't deliver, that there's something amiss. Jesus comes and says, receive my love again. Be filled with my spirit again. Be renewed in my love. Hear my voice that you are beloved. And out of that, go do the other things of life. Let that be your source. So Lord, send us out, or send us, I should say, with an awareness of your love. And that we understand that the flesh is a lie. It's not actually our essential nature. In Christ, we have a new nature. But it's a powerful lie, and it can still draw us into sin and can draw us back into death if we keep following its path. Deception, hiddenness, performance, and death. Lord, help us to move in your grace and to find those things that renew us in your love. In Jesus' name.